the book of Haggai. And uh, if you don't know where that's at, it is right towards the end of the Old Testament. So go to the end of the Old Testament. It's not the very last book, but it's uh, just about. So um, work your way back a little bit. Book of Haggai, we're going to go to chapter 1, and we do not have a handout tonight. This may be, uh, I don't know, it'll be Bible study, preaching, whatever it'll be, but I, I believe I have a word for us tonight, and we're going to dive into the book of Haggai. And so, we are going to read this entire first chapter. It's a short book, there's only two chapters here, but we're going to read the entire first chapter here as we open up. Uh, and it begins here, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of that month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And the Lord was saying through Haggai, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? In this house lie waste? Seen in other uh, passages or other, uh, other versions where it will say uh, there that in, in your own uh, in your own houses that are, are built up and they, they are these beautiful houses that you have. Uh, why are you living in your own beautiful houses while the house of the Lord is lying waste? In verse 5 it says, Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you. But there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? Saith the Lord of hosts, because mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from a fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. In the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek. You know, I would think that by now we know whose children they are. But they just keep telling us. The spirits of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. 
in the four and the twentieth day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So, this book of Haggai, uh, I would venture to say it's probably not uh, one of your uh, top ten books that you go to for your daily Bible reading. And so, uh, I would like to maybe give you just a little bit of context for where we are at in Scripture and in time of the, the Israelites. And uh, you kind of get a little bit of the mood of the people through this text that we just read, but this this mood and this of the the atmosphere of the Israelites during this time really is one of disappointment. The people they were saying, you know, I really really thought that we would be in a different shape, in, in different shape, in a different place than we are right now. I, I thought that things were going to be different. I thought that things were going to be better by now, and. The people, they're, they're saying, you know, I, I really, really thought that, that things would not look like they do when I look around. And so before we dive into this book of Haggai, just, just a little bit of this backstory, I want to go all the way back to King Solomon. And so King Solomon, the third king of Israel, uh, he is this one, this, uh, it was in the fourth year of King Solomon's reign that Solomon started construction on the temple that was there in Jerusalem. This was this beautiful, beautiful building. This temple that was more glorious than any of us could ever imagine. This, this beautiful edifice that was there that they would, it would, it would replace the tabernacle that we've, you know, we study so often. This tabernacle that was, uh, the one that Moses had built and they had kept that and, and you had then the tabernacle of David that was, uh, similar to that, that tabernacle of Moses and, and they have that tabernacle that they had always served God in, but, but God, uh, or, but, but really David desired to build the temple, but God told him he could not, but that his son Solomon could. And so Solomon begins to build this temple. And when he built it, it says that there were people from all over the world that would come and they would worship God. They would come just to see this beautiful building, they were absolutely amazed. The Queen of Sheba is one, it tells us of in Scripture, that traveled a long ways to just to come and to view this, this building. And she's, she could not believe the beauty and the splendor of this building. She, she, she came and, and, and really saw this building and it, and it gave her a, a, an understanding of how great the God is that they serve. And so this is a, just a beautiful, edifice that was there and um as as time went on the people were worshiping in the temple and worshiping god but over over time even during solomon's life he began to turn away from god he got distracted by other idols and by other uh pleasing other people and all of these other nations that he was trying to become friendly with and in doing so he began to worship other gods and the people of Israel, they got distracted and, and we see during time, over, over the course of time that the kingdom of Israel is splits in two. You have the northern Israel and you have the southern Judah. And these, this nation becomes a divided nation and, uh, the, the northern, uh, nation they, of Israel, they, they completely abandoned God. They didn't serve God at all for hundreds of years and, and then the south, you had them, and at times they would worship God, or they had, they had a king that was that was uh, a righteous king. And at times, 
majority of the time they had an evil king and, and the people followed suit. And so God, he allowed a series of events to take place in order to pull the people's hearts back to himself. It was in 587 B.C. that King Nebuchadnezzar and his army came in and they crushed the southern kingdom of Judah. So the northern kingdom of Israel had already been taken captive. but Now the southern kingdom of Judah was invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar and his army. And not only was this completely humiliating for them to be invaded by the Babylonians and destroyed their whole city, captured all of these people, but to add insult to injury, they came in and they destroyed Solomon's temple. It stripped away the spiritual identity of the Jewish people. It left them completely devastated. The next thing that happens where all of this is taking place so that God is allowing this to take place so that their hearts will be turned back to him. So the next thing that happens is the Jews, they were taken into captivity and some of them were taken back to Babylon, such as um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. These, these, you know, they were part of the ones that were taken to Babylon and there were some that remained in Israel, but they were still uh, captives in their own country. And, and for the next 50 years, they spent their lives in captivity. Technically, it was 70 years, but from the time of the destruction of the temple, it was 50 years. The temple wasn't destroyed right away when the Babylonians came in. And so for 50 years, they lived with a temple that was destroyed. And, and now we read this, and sometimes I don't think it quite registers for us, you know, in our minds. Like, like we think, yeah, yeah, like they came into captivity. And in our minds, you know, don't really understand what that's like. If we could imagine, just imagine it like this. And, and even this, I don't know, is a great comparison. Because for them, this was the land that God gave them. This was their promised land. For them, being a nation was, being, was having God's inheritance. But even for us today, if we could kind of bring this into modern context, just imagine a, another nation coming to our government and telling them uh, they have this massive nuclear, uh, nuclear power. And they're saying, we're going to take out five major U.S. cities. And, and there's going to be, you know, ten, ten cities of your ally countries that, that are going to be destroyed unless you surrender to us. Can you imagine that? And at that point, you know, our president's kind of in a, in a bind. Our, our, our government's in a bind. And, and as they meet and they think, you know, well, we can't retaliate. If we retaliate, you know, then the whole world's going to be in a, in a mess. It's nuclear war, global nuclear war. We can't do anything. The only option that we have at this point is to surrender. And all the government leaders, you know, if they were to step down, suddenly we as citizens are part of another nation. I mean, if you imagine that, this is where they were at. All of their government leaders had stepped down. They had another nation that came in and invaded them. They have lost their identity. They've lost their, uh, for, for them, their religious, um, their, their religious identity and their inheritance from God. And so now they're captives here and, and, you know, they're captives to somebody else and, and they can't worship 
the way that they had always worshipped because the temple had been destroyed. Now they couldn't do, they couldn't do things in the, the way that, you know, that they normally had. And so for 50 years, and you know, here I am, I'm, I'm not even 50 years old. And, and so if this was me, my whole life would be in captivity. My children would be born in captivity. That would be the only life that they would know. Be the only life that I know. And so if you can put yourself into their minds, this is, you know, the worst nightmare come true. And it just doesn't end. And you can only imagine the relief, the good, you know, when this good news came, when King Cyrus came to power and King Cyrus told them that them in, uh, in Babylon at that time, you can go back to Jerusalem. You can begin to rebuild the temple. And he tells, uh, he tells Nehemiah this. And Nehemiah, uh, he, he goes and he begins with Zerubbabel. We see Zerubbabel mentioned here in this, this book of Haggai. And he, they go and they, they, their, their plan is to rebuild the city. And they, they go and we see Nehemiah, he, he goes and he begins to rebuild the walls and they rebuild part of the city. And, and all of them, the relief, you know, when they are doing this, about 50,000 people were allowed to travel back to Jerusalem. The capital of Judah was going to be rebuilt. Finally, after five decades in captivity, they get to go back to their homes. They're, they're allowed to go back. They're given permission. You can rebuild your temple, the house of God. They get to have their own place again. And you can only imagine the relief that they have, the excitement that they have, that they're allowed to do this. And the Jewish people, they went back and they started to rebuild the temple of God. They built the foundation. They built the altar that was there in the temple. But then, as they're building it, the Samaritans came in and they began to oppose their work. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, this just got hard for us. This This just got difficult now. You know, it must... Must not be the right timing for us because this isn't easy to do. So that's the backstory of where we're coming at, coming into this in the book of Haggai. So for 14 years, the people did not work on the temple. They stopped their work on the temple. For five decades, for 50 years, that is all that they could think about. You know, one day we're going to have the freedom. One day we're not going to be captives anymore. One day we're going to be able to rebuild the house. One day we're going to be able to rebuild the city. One day we're going to be able to rebuild the house of God. And, and as soon as they got the go, as soon as they were given permission to go and do this, guess what they did? They started building the house. Things got difficult. They left that work and they went and they built their own houses instead. And they were very nice houses. They forgot about God's house and they began to build their own house. And so God raises up this prophet Haggai to call the people back to rebuild the temple of God. It was in verse 2 and we'll see it here in uh, NIV. Verse 2 it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. He says, these people, which I think is, is a little bit comical. God's saying, these people over here, these people. 
It, they, they said that it's not yet time to rebuild the house. And I think it's comical a little bit because almost everywhere else in the Old Testament, when God is talking about his people, he says, my people. But here he's, he's like, yeah, these people. It's kind of like uh, when when sometimes I'll come home and uh, and my wife, she'll be like, hey, your kids were a were a, a disaster this you know today. It's like they're not they're not my kids. Those are your kids. Yeah. Your kids. And he's like God's like, yeah, these these people over here, these people, they they're the ones that that they decided to go and to build their own houses instead of building my house. These people, you know, they're not my people, but but these people are saying, you know, the time is not now. That right now is not the right time to go and build the temple. The time is not right. Now, why did they think that the time wasn't right? See, they thought that it wasn't the right time because they received opposition when they began to do it. It got hard. It got difficult. The Samaritans came. They began to oppose them. They began to make it difficult. And what's so funny is so often... Whenever we receive opposition, we think, well, this must not be God's will because it just got hard. It just got difficult. See, we need to understand that the closer we get to doing something that matters to the heart of God, the more likely it is that we're going to face opposition. See, receiving opposition is not a sign that God is against you. A lot of times it's a sign that you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. Amen? See, we don't really worry when people are opposing us. We worry when no one is. At least we should. It's not when there's no opposition that we should, that we should be like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm definitely on the right path. It's when things get a little bit difficult, that's when we say, you know what? I think things, you know what? I, I think they're, they're, God might be in this with me because things are a little difficult right now because I'm receiving a little bit of opposition. Now, the moment that you start to move forward and do something and be obedient to what God has called you to do, you can mark it down. There's very likely spiritual opposition that's going to come your way. So when... You set out to be obedient to God, and it gets difficult, and it gets challenging, and it often will. It, it, it will do that. I want to encourage you just with one simple thought here tonight. With God's help, choose the right, or I'm sorry, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Over and over and over again, just tell yourself, God, with your help, I need you to enable me. God, I need you to empower me to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. See, it would be so easy for us to just quit focusing on God and to start focusing on myself and say, you know what, this is not convenient anymore. It's difficult. And it would be really easy for us to just stop doing the things that we know God set out for us to do. Because it got difficult. But choose the hard right over the easy wrong. It would be so easy when somebody hurts your feelings to hold a grudge and to be angry at them. But it's hard and it's right 
to forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. It's really easy to continue to spend more than you have and just buy whatever you want and to go into debt. It's really hard to climb out of debt. It's hard and it's right to climb out of debt. Live beneath your means. No, that's, that's the, the hard and the right thing to do. It's, it's really easy for us to give up at times. And it's so easy to not make a difference. But we as followers of Jesus Christ, with the help of God, I believe He has called us to do hard things. He has called us to do things that are going to make a difference, but they're not going to be easy to do. So choose the hard right over the easy wrong. This is what the prophet is going to help to empower the people of Israel, the people of Judah, to do. Is to choose to do the hard right thing instead of the easy wrong thing. He's essentially telling them, hey, you guys think that the time is not now to build the temple? Because it got difficult? I'm telling you, the time is now. Now for many of us here tonight, you know, I just want you to think just for a moment and to ask yourself, is there any unfinished business in my life? I'm going to pause here for a moment because I really want you to think about this. Is there anything in your life that is unfinished business that there's just, just think back, you know, it could have been yesterday. It could have been a month ago. It could have been 14 years ago that God put something on your heart. You know, that you, you were supposed to reach out to this person and you didn't do it. You, you, you're supposed to begin to tell them, you know, about, about your walk in, with God and, and you, it was a hard thing. You didn't want to have the conversation. And so you cho- chose the easy way out. Or maybe it, for you it was that, that you really were supposed to start a work for God. You were supposed to, you're supposed to go and you're supposed to do something and, and you chose not to do it. Or you felt like you were supposed to serve somewhere in the church. But you're not doing it. Maybe it's that you were supposed to start a ministry, but you're not doing it. Or you're supposed to give something away to somebody, and you didn't do it. Unfinished business. Things that God asked you to do, but you chose not to do it. You chose the easy way, which was just to ignore what God was asking you to do. Okay? I'm just going to pause just for a moment. For you. The unfinished business. And I want to pause there because I want you to have that in your mind for the rest of this message. The unfinished, the unfinished business. These things, these hard, right things to do. The things that God placed on your heart to do. For them, it was 14 years that they, 14 years ago that they had stopped the construction on the temple because it was hard for them to go, to, to do that in the face of opposition. And for 14 years, they let it sit there while they went and they worked on their own houses. So that thing that's on your heart here tonight, that burden from God, but that thing that you did not do, just think about when you're, when you're thinking about that, that's the very thing that God is asking you to go and to lay that, or, or, or to go and to begin to do that again. I haven't even, I guess I haven't even thrown my, my, title up here tonight, our, our series title, because I'm going to be in the book of Haggai for a couple of weeks here, is, is our series title is Build the House, but tonight uh, our, our title for this message in particular is, is the high timber, the high timber, and we're going to get there in just a moment, the high timber. 
Because as, as we begin to go and do the hard things, or we begin to go and do the hard right things, God is going to ask us to do things a certain way. And they're not always going to be easy to do it God's way. So for many of us, God's going to speak to you in the very same way that he spoke to the people of Israel during the time of Haggai. He's going to say the time is now. The time is right now. So let's read on in verse, verses uh, 3 through 5. Can we go back to uh, verses 3 through 5 in uh, Haggai 1? It says, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. He was saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. So he says, your, your sealed houses. What in the world is a sealed house? Other, other versions, they say the paneled house. The, the, the houses that have panels on it. You know, according to some commentaries, I began to read this. It was, it's basically saying those types of houses were the houses that were for high, li- high end living. This was like, you know, you, you got the granite countertops. You've got the crown molding up there. You've got the shiplap on the walls. You've got the whole Joanna Gaines vibe going on in your whole house. It looks good. Everything looks great. And God is not against us having nice things. I'm not saying that. But he is against us putting nice things ahead of him. He's not against you having nice things. He just doesn't want those things to have you. And sometimes they do. So at this point... The people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's house and ahead of the priorities that God wants them to have. He says, give careful thought to your ways. So I just want to raise this question. Ask yourself, are you putting your own comfort ahead of his calling? Am I tonight putting my own comforts the easy way? By putting that ahead of the hard, right thing to do. Or the calling that God has called me to. Are you trying to make a name more so than you're trying to make a difference? Sometimes we can get caught up in that. You're trying to lift myself up rather than just going and nobody knows about it, but I'm making a difference. I'm doing the things that God has called me to do. Are you putting your house before God's house? Are you consumed with yourself instead of being consumed with God and showing his love to other people. Because that is what God has called us to. Is there, is there something that you are putting ahead of the call of God? Because what God says, what he said through Haggai to his people was, if so, I want you to consider your ways. Consider your ways. God wants you to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And some of you right now, there's, there's something in your life where you know that you're supposed to do it. And God says, you know, God, do it now. Actually, I wanted you to do it 14 years ago. But since you didn't do it then, let's do it now. And you say, well, there, now there's all these other obstacles in, in my way. Yeah, the other obstacles are still there. The Samaritans, they're still there. But do it now. I'm calling you to still do this in the face of struggle. And these verses in Haggai, these verses, uh, they, they, they paint this, this image of, of Something that really hasn't changed. It's, it's remarkable how this was like 2,500 years ago. And so much of this hasn't changed for us. That we still 
allow things just to fester. We still allow the hard things to just sit. We still say things got tough and so it must not be God's will. And so we let them sit there and we will bypass the will of God in order to appease our own comfort. And so God says to them in verse 6, he says, you have sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. And just as an aside, for some reason, I, I, I just had somebody ask me this weekend, you know, what my first message was that I ever preached. And I was thinking back, and I think I was like 13 years old. Um, grew up, I was in a youth group in, in South Bend, and they had a Friday night service. It was always a youth service. And, uh, and they asked me one, one time to, uh, to come to speak. And for some reason, at 13 years old, that was the verse that I preached on. I have no idea why, out of all the verses, that Haggai 1.6 would be the one that I would have picked out at 13 years old. But that was the one. And I talked about uh, earning wages, and, uh, and the wages are you know, in bags with holes. Or in other words, you do things sometimes for God, and it feels like it's all just draining out. It feels like it's all draining out. My message then, I probably had no real understanding of what this verse was about. But let me just put it in a modern translation for us here tonight. A modern translation for us tonight is basically God's telling them, Hey, you feel like you've been working your tail off and you don't have anything to show for it. Whatever you've been doing, it's all futile. And you it's not giving you any satisfaction. That you're pouring your life into some career and it just feels empty and it feels hollow. You have more than what you've ever had before and you still don't feel satisfied. You entertain yourself. You, you go and you eat out and yet there's still this longing for something more. And so he says, I want you to give thought to your ways. Give thought to your ways. And let's do that tonight. Let's give thought to our ways. Am I putting anything ahead of the house of God? Am I putting my house ahead of God's house? Is there some unfinished business for myself that, you know, is there something that God led me to do that I have not done yet? In verse seven, he goes on, he says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says this again, consider your ways. And then basically what he's going to do is he's going to break it down into three simple steps for the people of Israel through Haggai, through his prophet. He tells them three simple steps that he wants them to do. The first one, that number one, that he wants them to do, he says, I want you to go up into the mountains. Number two, bring down the timber. Number three, build my house. God says, this is how much I love you. I'm going to make it simple. I'm going to just give you three things to do. One, two, three. Go up into the mountain, get the timber, bring it down, build my house. Those three things. It's as simple as that. But wait a minute. Going up into a mountain is not easy. It's kind of hard. I mean, they're like, God, have you seen this, those mountains over there? You're telling me that's where I need to go and get the wood? I, I look around and I see a whole bunch of trees around me. 
And you're telling me that I need to go up the mountain and get the trees. In fact, even when I look at the mountain, the majority of the trees are at the bottom of the mountain. And you're telling me I need to go up the mountain and cut down the timber. You, I need to get the, the high timber, the stuff that's way up there, and I need to bring it down here. God, I don't get it. And yet God says, I just have three things that I want you to do. You've been wasting 14 years building your own houses. You have your own cushy living. You got everything just perfect place for yourself. Now it's time to go and do the thing that I've called you to do. Go up into the high mountain, cut down the timber, bring it down, and build my house. Now there's less of it up there. It's rarer up there. But you have to go up in order to bring the glory down. When you're building the house, it can't be done the way that everybody else is going to do it. Go up the mountain, bring down the high timber. That's what God is telling them. Go higher, climb higher. Don't stop when it starts getting tough. I want you to go up the mountain, choose the hard right over the easy wrong. That's what God is asking them to do. So come down then and build the temple step by step. God says, I'll give it to you step by step. Now he doesn't give it to him yet, but he says, I'll give this, I'll give you the directions. Build the temple step by step. And so here's the problem that for a lot of us, before we ever even start off at one, we want to say, okay, God, now tell me what four, five, and six are. You gave me one, two, and three. Now before I actually go do this, I need to know like the whole plan. I need to know, you know, from front to back, how are we going to do this? I need the details. Who's going to pay for this thing? How are we going to make this happen? What about when things get tough again? What are we going to do then? What about, you know, how, am I going to get a tax write-off for this? <laughs> like, I need to know the details, God. And God is saying, I'm not going to give you all the details. I'm just going to give you these three steps right now. I need you to go up the mountain, bring down the high timber, and build my house. See, the steps four, five, and six, they might be revealed later. But God says, my word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A lamp unto my feet means that it's not like, it's not the high beam headlights. You can't see all the way down the road. But you can see right in front of you. And God says, I'll give you enough to be able to walk and not trip. I'll give you enough to take a step You'll know what's right in front of you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead you. I'm going to guide you. You're going to know how to, you know, which, which step to go, which way to turn. I'm gonna lead you. You're gonna be spirit led. You may not have the whole path in front of you that you know exactly how this is going to happen, but I'm gonna give you steps one, two, and three, and I just want you to go. I just want you to go. You see, you have to do what God showed you first before He reveals more to you. And here we are, we're saying, I, I want the details. And God says, you can't handle the details. I'll give you what you need when you get there. But you just need to take the first step. And I'm wrapping up here soon. So what do we do? He says, go up the mountain. Bring down the high timber. And start building the house. Do it step by step. And this is what it means to walk in the Spirit. Here tonight, this is what we're commanded to do as followers of Jesus Christ. 
We want to walk, you know, fleshly, we want to walk by sight. But God says, I want you to walk by faith. It's not about walking by, you know, that seeing everything and knowing that everything's going to work out perfectly. It's, it's walking by faith. It's choosing to do the hard thing. It's choosing to do the things that God revealed to you a long time ago. Those things that deep inside you feel like all of that opportunity has passed you over. You feel like I messed up a long time ago and there's no way that I could ever do this again. I was, I was just, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Two, two, three weeks ago, uh, I was able to go to that recovery conference and uh, I was listening to the story of, of the pastor there, he's, he's a friend of mine, um, Pastor Cotton. And Pastor Cotton, he was, he, he grew up in, well, first when he was growing up, his his, his family was not in church, but they, they eventually got into an episode church and, and they, uh, he, he grew up mo- the majority of his life um, in the church pew going to every youth event, all of these things, and, and he, he himself never really bought in. He himself never really uh, you know, bought into the youth group, and, and yet God, God you know, kept presenting these, these, these opportunities for him to get involved, and he didn't do it. He knew, he knew a long time ago that he had a call of God in his life, but, but he never really committed to it. And uh, eventually, by the time he got out of high school, he, he was... Uh, he was determined, bound and determined he would never step foot in church again. And so he went off, he went, he said he, he, he tried basically anything that was put in front of him, any kind of, any kind of drug, any kind of, uh, specifically pre- uh, prescription painkillers, uh, that was, that was his drug of choice that he just got addicted to and could not shake that addiction. He had, uh, eventually where he was shooting up all kinds of drugs, everything, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, or he had he had a time where where he was just kind of hitting rock bottom, and he had a friend of his who was preaching at his home church and and grew up in the youth group with him, and he invited him to invited him to go uh, to church one day when he was preaching, and condemnation kind of got to him. He didn't end up going, but his mother was there and she sent him the tape, and he began to listen to that. It's a tape, it was a CD. He began to listen to that CD that week in the car, and as he's Going in his car, he pulls over the side of the road because the Spirit of God just begins to move into, his, in, into that place. And he begins to feel something that he had not felt in a long time. And the, for the very first time, there he was at 22 years old, I believe he said. 22 years old for the very first time was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost right there in his car. And... He came, he said he was shooting up that it was at that time that he had all kinds of things that he was addicted to. And in an instant, God delivered him. In an instant, he, he went in, he went to the church, he was, he was completely delivered. It was about a year later, a year later that he relapsed. And he felt so much shame for that relapse. And in that, the shame of, of that, that relapse of, of he eventually stopped going to church pretty quickly, stopped going to church and gave up on God. And, and finally, again, got to a place where he said, I've got to get back to the house of God. And he said vividly, and this is, I guess, why this story came to mind. He said, I knew that I had a call of God in my life. But the only thing at that point was a promise that I made to God that said, I will be the most faithful saint sitting on the back row. 
God, if you'll just restore me to that, that's all that I want. And I promise that I'll do it. If you will, if you will set me free from these drugs again, God, then I, then I will, I will be the most faithful saint just sitting there in the church. I've, I've gone too far. I've done too much. I've lost it all. I've lost all my chances to, to do anything else, you know, to go back and to do the things that I know I was called to. Ended up going to, he was, he was down in, uh, he was down in Louisiana. This is where he was at. That was his home church. He actually grew up, Sister Nona Freeman was his pastor uh, down in Louisiana. But he went to a recovery center in Urbana, Illinois, checked himself in there. This was 14 years ago that he checked himself in, went through that program, year-long program. And through that, God began to restore things in him. God began to, re- began to reveal things about some, some, some hurts, some, some things that, that were driving his addiction. And he was set free once again. And now today, now today, he is pastoring the very church. He is the pastor of the church where that recovery center is at. And, and he, he, here he was saying, you know what? I thought that everything was gone. I thought that all of that calling of God on my life that I had lost it all. I didn't think there was any way that I could ever step back into that. And that's where some of us are at tonight. When you say, there's a calling, there's something that I haven't done for a long time. 14 years ago, I started building, building the temple, and now here I am. Everything is good. Everything's easy. Not, not that everything's easy, but you know, I've, I've already stepped away from that. I've already lost my opportunity, and God is trying to wake somebody up here tonight and saying, you haven't lost your opportunity. You still have an open door in front of you, and I want you to step through it, and I want to restore some things back to you that you thought were lost a long time ago. You thought that your choices, you thought that you stepping away from that calling, you thought that you stepping away from that opportunity, you thought that that meant that you are never going to be able to do that again. But let me tell you that that door that was open way back then, it's still open now, and I'm calling you to do a greater thing. I'm calling you to go and do the right thing. And that's what God's calling you here tonight. Let's... It's not just about comfort. Sometimes it's about the, the, the tricks that the enemy pay, plays with our heads and telling us, no, you can't do it. You lost your chance. God's, and, and here God is, he's saying, I'm not going to reveal to you that you are going to be the pastor of the church. I'm not going to reveal to you that you are going to go and to launch that, launch that church. But, but, you know what? There is step one, two, and three of you getting involved in, in a ministry that's Step four, five, and six are going to be you going out and being a missionary in Africa or being whatever it is that God called you to. And, but, but right now, God's revealing to you one, two, and three, and he's saying, it's time to start. It's time to go. Let's do it. Let's get involved. Let's do the things that I've called you to do. Let's do the right things. See, there are some unseen blessings. Unseen blessings on the other side of obedience. When we choose to obey God, God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you in amazing ways. Ultimately, when you do what God had called, has called you to do, maybe it was go and talk to that person who, you know, you felt like you should have shared the gospel with them and you didn't do it. And now you're hearing me saying, oh, it's time to do it. Go and do it now. God's, 
God's the one that's responsible for, for the results here. But if you'll be obedient and just do it, you're never going to know what the outcome might be. One more story as I wrap that up. I had just just heard a, uh, of an, uh, another minister. He, he worked uh, a secular job. He was in an office. And every day uh, he, he lived in a, or he, you know, he, he was a Christian himself, but wasn't really necessarily outward about it. I mean, obviously he was a pastor, everybody knew, but he didn't, he didn't go and just talk to everybody in his office all the time. But one day as he was getting ready to, to leave, his office, he felt God prompt him to turn around, go back in, and to share with his boss that God loved him and that God God was calling him. He knew that his boss was not a Christian. But he went in, and and as he went and into his uh, boss's office, he began to share with him about the love of God, he began to share with him uh, the gospel message and and his boss was just sitting there and blank, blank face, just looking at him, had no reaction at all. He didn't respond whatsoever. And he walked out of that office and he was like, why in the world did I feel that? Why did I feel such a strong urge to go in and to tell my boss? It was five years later that he had this, this young man who... Um, who came into his church and began to talk to him about, um, introduced himself to this, this young man. And this young man said, I, I know exactly who you are. I don't know if you know who I am, but I used to work at such and such place. It was the place where he had worked five years before. And he said, I was, I was a maintenance guy or I was a, a, a janitor in the facility. And there was one day that I was at my wit's end. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was in the CEO's office, and I was under his desk, or under, you know, leaned down, and I was picking up some stuff, cleaning in his, in his office. And you came into that office, and you began to share with him the love of God. And I began to break down that very night, because I was at my wit's end. I was going to give up. And it was that, in that very moment that I gave my life to Christ and I began to follow after him. And here I am today. And he himself and his whole family was in church because of something that this man, he had no idea why it was that he went into his boss's office. He had no idea why God was telling him to go in there. And that's, we, we have no idea sometimes why we feel God impressing on us to go and to do something. But, but there is a reason why God would do it. And when we are obedient, God is the one that's responsible for the outcome. You just do what God has called you to do. You are not responsible for the outcome. God is responsible. The obedience part of it is on us. The obedience part is on us. It's on us to go up to the mountain and get the high timber. It's on us to go and do the things. that it may not make sense, but God says, just do it my way. I've got a reason for this. I know it's not what makes sense to you, but just go up and get the high timber and bring it down because we're going to have the glory of the Lord's going to fill the house when it's rebuilt. The glory of the Lord is going to be here. Just do the hard right over the easy wrong. Just do it. Let's just stand all over this place. I believe that God wants to speak, or God is speaking to somebody here tonight. If we would... Just lift up your hand as we close out this sermon here tonight, as we close out this, uh, this, this Bible study. Lord, I, I pray 
that those very things that we begin to think about, those those areas in our life, God, where, where we have unfinished business, those things where we have not fully uh, gone and done the things that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that there would be somebody tonight that would choose to do the hard thing. God, there would be somebody here tonight who would go and begin to pursue the calling of God that is upon their life. That sometimes the hard thing is giving up on our own comforts or it's giving up on our own things that we know are holding us back. And it's not easy to give up those things that are holding us back. But God, you are calling us to for a greater purpose. You are calling us for a greater calling. God, for them, it was to build the temple and to stop building their houses. But for us, God, there are so many things, God, that we have allowed to get in our way from doing the things that you have called us to do. God, help us tonight to, re- to set those things aside, to pursue you with, the whole, with our whole hearts, with our passion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you here tonight. Amen. We will. We have prayer at 7 o'clock this Saturday. Love to see you here at prayer. Amen. God bless you.